You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. It's good to be here with y'all. Um, I'm going to try not to go long today. Um, as Jordan just said, I tend to have long conversations. I tend to like draw things out a lot. So I'm going to try to kind of keep us on time here today. Um, but it's, it's great to be here with y'all. Um, I'm going to jump right in uh, with a question here for us. How do you endure the weariness of life? I know, a cheerful, cheerful Sunday morning here at Redemption. Um, so let, let me back up a second. Um, I, yeah, I'm kind of like an intense person. Um, so people who know me kind of know this. I don't outwardly kind of show that all the time. Um, it's a lot more inward for me, but I'm like an inwardly kind of intense person. So this kind of question is like, just the waters that I swim in all the time. It's part of why I'm good at my job as a counselor is I get to sit with people and kind of like the heavy stuff that they're going through all the time. And that's just something that I find myself naturally able to do. Um, so, but let, let's get back to the question. Because um, this is kind of what I'm going to try to um, just invite us to see this morning uh, from the scripture, from Isaiah 61 and, and John 1. Um, is this question, right? How, how do we endure the weariness of life? Um, this is not an abstract question for me, right? This is actually a very personal kind of question um, because uh, I'm not going to go into all the details here um, with y'all, but this year has been a very long, uh, weary year for me. Um, the, last, the last couple of years in particular have been that way. Um, the last few years have kind of been that way. So like it's been kind of building a little bit. This last year has just been um, just filled with sorrows for me. Um, just I, I've, I just keep getting confronted just kind of over and over and over again with just like the harsh realities of being in a broken world. Um, that there are just tragedies that are happening um, around me, like not just even in the world at large, although there's that, um, but like just whether it's in my family or whether it's in other like interpersonal relationships of mine or whether it's like there's a number of things that just kind of keep piling um, on top of each other. Um, and there's just things that 
are out of my control and that I can't really stop from happening. And uh, it's a lot. And so I, I am personally faced with this kind of question. Um, like, what do we do um, when these things just keep coming? When the tragedies and the sorrows and the, the reasons to grieve just kind of keep coming? I'm curious what, uh, like, what the past year has been like for you Right? It might not be the same as it, is, as, as it has been for me. But whether we are aware of it or not, we all come in here on a Sunday morning like this, we all come in here very needy. Right? We have like real limitations and real need for something outside of ourselves um, to, to happen and to take place um, for us and in us and for this world. Um, things that are outside of our, our abilities to conjure up or to make happen or to control. Um, we come in here needy. And some days, some Sundays, um, right, we're going to feel that um, more than others, right? Some Sundays, we're going to walk in the door and you're going to be just, you're going to feel it and it's going to be hard to even show up. It's going to be hard to sing. It's going to be hard even just to like really tune in to like what God is saying in his word. Like it's just hard. Like some, sometimes, um, we come in here really feeling um, that we are lacking something and that we're needy. And some Sundays we come in here and we're like, well, yeah, life's been fine. Um, I'm just doing my thing every Sunday. But whether we feel it or not, this is real. And um, this morning, right, I just want to invite you to um, explore with me kind of how, how we can center ourselves in the coming Messiah, Right, so that's all we're doing this morning. That's kind of like the spoiler alert. <laughs> that's the end goal of this, right? There's going to be nothing else revolutionary about this morning or what I'll say, except we just need to, wherever we are this morning, wherever you find yourself, we just need to be able to center ourselves in the coming Messiah. Um, so uh, let's frame this here for Advent season, because that's where we find ourselves on, a, on this Sunday morning. We are in week four of Advent, right? So Advent is this season of the year that leads up to Christmas. So historically, right, Christians have kind of taken this part of the year and said we're focusing on um, the arrival of God, right? The, the word Advent literally means arrival. So it is focused on our need for God to arrive, for God to come. And you might say, well, that's kind of weird. Hasn't God already come? And we say, well, yes, he has. Um, we need him to come again, right? We need him to come back. We need him to return. And this is an entire season where we get to lean into that. We get to lean into our need for him to show up again, um, for him to come back, um, right? And this all culminates in, in Christmas, right? All of this kind of climaxes um, with this celebration that God has come in the person of Jesus. So this, this hope we have that God is coming again is anchored in the reality that he has already come. Um, he, he is good on his word. He has already shown us that, and he is going to come back again. And we are just clinging to this hope that that is going to happen. Um, that's what Advent's all about, and that's where um, all this comes from here this morning. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread these passages again. Um, instead of trying to verse by verse go through each of them and like explain all the little details in there, I'm going to keep it kind of big picture a little bit um, and invite us to, with our hearts, um, just kind of listen to this, this vision 
of um, this vision of shalom, right? Shalom is this um, Hebrew word for um, peace. Um, but this word shalom is not just about like some kind of inward peace where you feel peaceful. Um, it is this like much bigger holistic view of God's world, um, this view that the world is all the way it's supposed to be, that everything is the way it should be, that all the, all the things in the world that we know are not right, that are broken, that, are, that all that stuff is put back together the way it should, and that this peace kind of invades the whole world, um, including ourselves, right, including even our hearts. Um, so I'm going to just read Isaiah 61 again here. Um, and I would just invite you to reflect. Um, reflect on, like, how does this vision speak to the desires of your heart? Um, right, instead of me trying to, like, guess and think about how it might speak to the desires of your heart, I would just invite you to open yourselves up to discover what's there. How, how does this speak to the desires and the longings of your heart um, how do we still need this to happen in our world today? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Jesus directly connects this, um, this biblical prophecy here in Isaiah 61. Jesus directly connects this to himself, um, to who he is and what he is doing. Um, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, um, this is kind of at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus shows up in a synagogue. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this passage here, and he says, like, this is being fulfilled right now in your hearing like in your midst. Jesus um, very directly says that this is all about him and what he is doing. And then we get to the Gospel of John. And we get introduced to this really curious character, um, John the Baptist. And I don't know about, I don't know about you. Um, this might just be me. This might be me just spending time in this passage and reflecting on it. Uh, but it, I, I found this kind of funny, actually. Uh, this is a really interesting way to introduce somebody um, in the Bible. Um, we have this man, John, who shows up, 
and there's all this clarifying of like who he's not. It's like, wait, who is this guy? Why, why is there so much emphasis on, well, he's not this, and he's not this one, and he's not this one? You're like, so what, what is the point of him even being in here? Um, I find it actually kind of funny. Um, it's very clear um, he's not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This guy, John the Baptist, shows up, and he's saying, I am, I'm, I'm pointing to somebody else. I am bearing witness about the light. Um, and John insists, right? He is just um, repetitive. He's consistent. He does not let up on this. He insists that he is not the Messiah um, or the Christ, right? Um, the translation we read from this morning said, I am, he said, I am not the Christ. The word Christ um, is just basically the word for Messiah, which means deliverer. The Messiah was this figure, this, this person, this one who was to come that the, the Jews were, were waiting for. This was kind of the promised deliverer who would come and, and bring the kingdom of God and like bring God's people back into their own land and the temple would be reestablished and God's presence would be back on earth. And all these promises and prophecies and things that God says, this is what I'm going to do, it's, it was going to come through this Messiah, right? This deliverer, um, which because of like the languages of the time and the Greek language and all this, got, it gets, it's translated Christ, just means Messiah. Um, right, so Christ is not like Jesus' last name, right? We say Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. Like, it's a title, right? So, so Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the one who was promised to come, Jesus the one who's gonna deliver us all from this kingdom of darkness, Jesus, right, the Messiah, the Christ. John the Baptist shows up, and he, he confessed, right? Um, he didn't deny, but he confessed that the gospel of John tells us, I'm, I'm not that one. That's not who I am. Not the Christ. And they're like, well, so then are you Elijah? Are you like the prophet? Are you like, you got it? Nope, I'm not that. Nope, I'm not that one either. Nope, that's not... <laughs> um, the prophet was um, someone, basically, it's probably from a prophecy that Moses gave, or Moses um, said, there's going to be one like me that's going to come. Um, that's probably who this, this person is. So it's not this prophet like Moses. It's not Elijah. It's not these, any of these other major characters that they were looking for. Um, John is very clear, and I'm really struck by this, um, like, at first, I found it funny, but then I was, um, the more I reflected on it, I was really struck by his clarity, right? John is very, um, like, there's no shame for him in this either. He's like, this, this is just not who I am. I'm not going to um, let y'all think I'm someone I am not. Um, I'm not the Christ, and this is, it says he confesses this. What does that mean, right? We talk about the word confession, and we often hear like, oh, I have some sin that I need to like, right, acknowledge and ask for forgiveness for. Um, this word confess is like a declaration of faith, right? It's like a, um, yeah, this is really about faith. And John says, I am not the Messiah. So why is he in here? Like, why all this text? Why all of this, like, time on John the Baptist? Um, if it's not really about him, if this is not it really, if he's not the one, 
then why do we have all of this? Why not just get straight to Jesus, right? Maybe, maybe, John is, maybe John the Baptist is embodying something important for us all to see. Maybe there's something about faith that is instructive for us, can be really encouraging and helpful to us. Um, all John does is he shows up and he points the way to the Messiah, okay? He just says, there is one who is coming um, and who's even here right now, and I'm not even, like, worthy of, like, untying this guy's sandal. Um, all he does is point to one who is coming. And I just think that there is, there is something about John's humility uh, and his, his um, like, his sense of, like, vocation and sense of self that is, that is very... Um, I don't know, is, is almost kind of grounding in a sense. Um, John knows who he is, right? He, he's not like, he, he doesn't feel any kind of pressure to be someone else than, than who he is and like what purpose he's been given. He knows he's been given a purpose. He knows he's been given a role. He knows it's like, you know, he knows it's an important one, right? When, when, they, when these, these Pharisees, when these Jewish um, religious leaders keep pressing him and keep pressing him and keep asking, Right, John goes, well, yeah, I mean, I'm basically, I, I'm this one that was prophesied, um, right, in the Old Testament. Um, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, right? Um, John directly quotes Isaiah and says, yeah, this was prophesied about me. So, so John is not like shrinking back. John is not like, well, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess I'm really nobody and I'm just here. Like John knows that he is an important like figure, he knows he has an important role to play, but he like stays within that, right? He never goes beyond that. He doesn't go outside of that. He just stays right within the limits of what the role God has given him to do. And I think there is something that can be really encouraging and really kind of freeing for all of us in that. He's not the hero right? He, he's, he's not the one who's going to bring about all this salvation that is being proclaimed. Um, he knows that, and he doesn't, he doesn't seem to, like, show this need to be that. Um, now, besides this kind of humility, um, right, it's, it's pretty obvious that John has some, like, some real hope, right? Some real sense of, like, expectation that something is, like, about to happen, Right, John is like, he, he is pretty um, convincing of, yeah, I mean, this, this Messiah is coming. He's actually already here. Like, there's this one among you who's already here. John is anticipating and expecting something to really happen. And this expectation moves him to, I think, worship, right? There's almost something um, when I'm reading these verses here, and I'm hearing John, right? He says, he says, I mean, there, there's this one who is here, this, this one who comes after me, the, the strap of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. Right? I don't think that John, when he says this, I don't think he is, um, I don't think he's like shaming himself. I don't think he is like saying, oh, I am so awful and so terrible and so unworthy. There is no way that I should be even like, he, he's not really 
making himself too low. Um, he is just recognizing the greatness of this one who is coming, and he, he, he worships, I think. I think he, he's in awe. I think he has some kind of wonder um, that, that kind of springs up from within him. Um, I think these are different ways, right? Humility, um, this sense of hope or like expectation, and praise, um, worship. I, I think these are just different ways of kind of breaking down John's faith that he really shows here and he really steps into. Now, this is not directly from these passages we read this morning, um, but if you were to continue in the Gospels and you were to keep track of John the Baptist, right, and you're going to follow his story, um, this starts to get really interesting because it does not really go very well for John, right? Like he, at first, he is this one who is, right, out in the wilderness. He is proclaiming this, like, repentance for sins and baptizing all these people in water, and he's almost, like, ushering in this new, um, this new era of God's people, like, waiting for, right, the, the chosen one to come. Um, but then Jesus shows up, and... He's revealed, and Jesus starts his ministry. Jesus starts doing all these miracles and proclaiming the gospel. And right, Jesus takes center stage as as he should, and John kind of like is in the background, continuing to do his thing. Um, and then, right, life happens to John. Right, um, he he is imprisoned, and he is basically awaiting execution. Um, and why? Why is he going through this? Why is he being put into prison? And why is he waiting to be executed? Well, because he called out King Herod for right, marrying his brother's wife. And he said, that shouldn't happen. You shouldn't do that. They got upset, and they wanted his head on a platter. Like, literally, if you go read um, in the Gospels, this is all, like, talked about. Like, they are very open. I want his head on a platter like, I cannot believe you would say something like that to me. And John, right, this one who's playing such an important role here, prophesied, right, from the book of Isaiah hundreds and hundreds of years before, this guy is in prison and about to be executed because of, right, because of an unjust ruler, because he lives in an unjust world like all of us do. And in all of this, um, this is in Luke um, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, uh, John sends his disciples. He can't go himself because he's in prison, right? But he sends a couple of his own followers to Jesus to ask him this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Right? The, John's entire purpose, his entire role is to proclaim that Jesus is the coming Messiah, and when he is faced with the tragedy of life, and it's about to end very terribly for him, um, this is where he is in this moment. This is all he knows what to do or how to engage with Jesus is to ask him this very direct question. And there's something really encouraging here, too. Because John, who has all this humility and all this faith and all this worship and all this ability to do all these things, 
He also ends up being just another human being like any of us who, when life is hard and we are going through real sufferings, um, we doubt, right? We sometimes don't know how to believe. We sometimes have questions for God. We sometimes, um, for some of us, right, this is going to take some different forms, right? Sometimes our doubt is going to be much more, um, we've got a bunch of intellectual questions for God and like, how does this work and how does this line up with this and how is this possible? For some of us, um, these questions are very, um, sometimes we are just, we have a lot of intensity about this. We have almost these existential crises and we don't know what to do with them. And for some of us, um, the doubt is a little more subtle. The doubt can be just, I am tired and I don't know how to kind of keep going and keep believing in this. It'd be much easier just to turn on Netflix right now. It'd be much easier just to like go to sleep or fill in the blank, any other way that we try to like numb ourselves or escape or just kind of cope with just life. Um, but like John the Baptist, it's, it's natural for us to have doubts sometimes. And, and that's where this question is just really powerful. Are, are, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And so I just want to invite you this morning um, to... As, as we are talking about Advent and God's arrival and this is what our hope is and we're waiting for God to come and this is what we're clinging to, if you're, if you're having a hard time with this, if this is difficult for you, um, you know, welcome. Like this, this is just part of the journey. Like all of us like, are really gonna struggle with this sometimes. And, and in our doubt, um, there, there is a way for us to still really encounter Jesus. So if we're in Luke chapter 7, um, we don't have this on the screen, but you can just kind of listen to this real quick. Um, Jesus responds here. So, so John the Baptist, right, sends these, his couple of disciples, his couple of followers to Jesus. They ask him this question, right? When they ask him this question, it's not like a private little one-on-one conversation. It's like public, like there's people all around, right? Which kind of heightens the uh, intensity of what's happening here. <laughs> like, John kind of puts Jesus in a really awkward spot in front of all these people by asking this question. And here's how Jesus responds. Listen to just the, listen to the gentleness uh, that Jesus has here. In John's grief, in his disappointment, in his doubt, in all of this, Jesus doesn't let John be identified with his doubt. Listen to this. In that hour, right, this is the verse directly after this question is posed. In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Does that sound familiar? Right? This is like Isaiah 61, basically. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. There's so many different ways that Jesus could have responded in this moment. Um, and there's something really gracious and really gentle and really kind 
But he keeps going. He says, it says here, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face who will prepare your way before me. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Like, I don't know a stronger statement Jesus can say like honoring John, right? And his reputation and his, like, who he is. Um, in this dark moment of doubt that John has, Jesus does not let him be identified with that. He speaks directly to it, right? He, like, shows him evidence of who he is and what he is doing as the Messiah that he is bringing in the kingdom of God. By the way, like, so he's, like, paraphrasing this prophecy from Isaiah 61, Jesus is kind of paraphrasing it and showing it. There's like one part that's left out, the like captives are gonna be set free, right? Blessed is he who is not offended by me, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, I am the one, I'm here, I'm showing you, and that's not going to like go very well. Like it's not all going to get fixed right now. And your situation is not going to be remedied, You're, right? This is a really hard message for John, Jesus is speaking really directly to him, but then he says, man, this guy is, among those born of women, there's no one greater than this guy. Now, he then goes on to say, like, but in the kingdom of God, even the least of these is greater than John, right? And Jesus goes on to talk about the least of these. Right, so what does this say about our doubt? And what we do with our doubt. Like even like in the church here, um, like in community with each other, when we're like, when we are talking about our spiritual life and our spiritual journey and just like how hard things are and we're trying to figure out how do we help each other? How do we like just be brothers and sisters in Christ together? And like, how do we do this? Well, when, when doubt shows up, um, right, of course, like Jesus, we want to be like, we want to be kind and gentle and like, understanding and like, hey, this is like part of like what it is. We don't shame each other. We don't need to do any of that. Um, but there is a way that we invite each other to like confess our doubt, like to be honest about like, um, and this is the, the, the use of the word confession where it's like, hey, I'm acknowledging that I'm lacking something here. I, I, I need something that I don't have. And we can like humbly invite each other into that and ask God for the faith that we need, um, right? Even John the Baptist needed that. He needed Jesus to show up for him in some very real ways, um, right? We, we never need to shame ourselves and we never need to shame one another. Um, I think a lot of us have seen just some hard, difficult ways, I think, in the church that doubt kind of gets handled and um, that we we then want to make so much room for doubt that then we don't know how to help each other like 
enter back into faith sometimes. Um, and I think John the Baptist is just a great like example of humility. Um, okay, so we are trying to figure out how do I have faith in Jesus, right? If, if this world is broken and messed up and we don't have promises that like it's going to get better today. We, we don't know that today is going to get better. We don't know that this week is going to get better. We don't know what this coming year holds for us. Jesus could come back like right now. He could come back next week. We don't know. Um, but what do we do like in our day-to-day lives when we're trying to figure out how do I like, how do I point to the Messiah and find my hope in him? How do I, how do I, center myself in the Messiah. Um, I think, first of all, so this is me trying to take all this and trying to help us get a little bit more practical here. What does this look like for, for our day-to-day life? I think we first have to realize that so many of us are tempted to control. Um, we are so tempted to try to make things better. Um, when, when everything is falling apart around us, we just have an instinct of, well, I, I, I need to do something about this. I need to somehow make this better. And um, I think the more that we really reflect and the more we look inward and the more we evaluate ourselves and the more we pay attention to like kind of our default tendencies, I think many of us will find that we have this, this urge, this desire, this default felt need of like, I need to control. I need to make this better. I need to do something about this. I can't just like sit here and watch this happen. Um, And we try in a lot of different ways to bring about the restoration of the world ourselves. Um, And there's just, like this is gonna sound a little, you know, stereotypical of a counselor, like of me to say right now. (laughs) Um, but there's a lot of things we can't control. That doesn't mean we're powerless, right? That doesn't mean we, there's nothing that we can do at all. But man, there, is, there are so many things that are just beyond our ability in ourselves to change or to fix or to restore or to bring about God's kingdom of shalom. Like there, there are just so many ways that we are limited and unable to do that in and of ourselves. Um, but this doesn't mean that we need to escape either, right? It's not that, oh, if I can't control things and I just need to get away from all this and I just need to like try to get myself removed from it. Um, right, we don't need to like binge Netflix and um, eat food and sleep and distract ourselves with a million things. Like we don't need to escape from all this either. If we're not controlling, if we're not escaping, like what are we doing? I think we need to let go and center ourselves in the coming Messiah. The Messiah who, he has come, but like we still need him to come again. And I think these passages this morning, Isaiah 61 and John chapter 1, are just really like simple but powerful kind of reminders of this. that what we need to do is, and this is hard, but we need to be able to somehow like slow our hearts down enough 
and slow our minds down enough and help not just our head, not just like intellectually, but like the rest of our body to like start to feel and sense and know that in the coming Messiah, right, we are loved and we are safe. That no matter what is happening around us, no matter how tragic, no matter how awful, no matter how heartbreaking, no matter how hard it is, that in the coming Messiah, we can actually know that we are loved and that we are safe, right? We are loved in the sense that like we are not abandoned, that we're not alone, that God has come for us and he is coming again, and we can actually know and experience that. But also this safety piece that I, I don't think gets kind of highlighted enough. Um, I don't know if you all have heard of this, this centering prayer. Um, it's, it's basically titled, All Shall Be Well. And it's really, really simple, but listen to this. All shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. Or like another way I've heard this expanded just a little bit before is, all shall be well, all shall be well. In the end, all manner of things shall be made well. What would it look like if we could somehow be able to hear that and feel that and like start to really sense that deep in our bones? That as hard as things are now, it's going to be okay. Somehow. Right? We, don't even, we, don't know what the, we don't even know how God's going to do all this. There's a lot of mystery and unknown and uncertainty. But like somehow, it's going to be okay. We can actually experience safety. And for this to happen, um, right, I'm not going to go like into all like the different like, you know, neuro, neuroscience research that goes into all this and stuff. But like, we got to get like out of our head and, and get this truth to like sink down into like our bodies. Um, we, we need like our, even our physical bodies to start to experience some of this. And we can do that. An example of how to do that is a centering prayer like, like I just shared. Um, practices where we repeat these things to ourselves and we hear these things kind of over and over. There are certain like tangible practices we can do to help ourselves experience the safety in the coming Messiah, right? If we're not controlling things and if we're not escaping from it all, what are we doing? Well, we can be present. Like we can be here right now, loved and safe and be able to endure. This isn't always going to feel a certain kind of way. I know I started to use this language of we need to feel this. I do think there actually is some level of actually feeling these truths and not just knowing them in our heads. But I'm not saying that we need some like goosebumps, like, oh, I just need the emotions to wash over me. Like th- what, I, what, what I think this is getting at is something deeper than, than just our emotions. I think it involves our emotions sometimes. But this is not dependent just on our emotions. It's even deeper than that. There's a deeper kind of sense that we can have deep down um, 
that, it, that it's going to be okay, like somehow. That we can actually just be here. Um, as one artist said it, I love how Taylor Leonhardt says this in one of her songs. Um, you, you have a choice to run for cover or you can feel the earth strong as steel under your feet. Um, that there's a way where we can be grounded in the coming Messiah. He's coming. We need him to come. Our hearts cry out for him to come. But we don't just cry out from a place of complete like hopelessness and complete powerlessness and, and lack. We, we, we do cry that with some real desperation, but we can also with that, in that same breath of desperation have like some real anticipation, like real expectation that it's gonna happen. This is a hope that can't be killed. Like this kind of hope, like it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what keeps happening to you. It doesn't matter what kind of suffering you go through. It doesn't matter how much injustice. It doesn't matter how much pain. It doesn't matter. Like none of that stuff can, can like overcome this kind of hope. Um, So yeah, my, my invitation this morning to you guys, um, there's a lot of words here that I've kind of said, but it's pretty simple. Um, and it's just an invitation to like with me, because I'm just, I'm very much in this with y'all. Um, like let's, let's, let's cry out and let's, let's really center ourselves. Like let's just show up and be here in this moment and just ask God to help us to center ourselves in Jesus, our coming Messiah. We really need him to come back. And that's where our life is found. It's only in him. It's like there's nowhere else to turn to. There's nowhere else. There's no one else. And this can give us strength to like keep going, to be, to be okay. It might not look pretty. It might not look like a lot of people might expect it to look like, but it can be real. Um, and I just invite y'all to kind of come into that with me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.